Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is going to be a great episode with Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls, and this is going to be a four-part series, and we're going to go everything, go over everything from the mechanics of uh, how to make a, a, a sound out of a diaphragm. We're going to go through uh, how to make a sound out of an external reed, a bugle, uh, and then we're going to get even more advanced. We're going to talk about the actual characteristics of each call and how the calls are made and how the calls are stretched. Uh, we're going to talk about the little tricks of the trade of how to make each individual call sound better. Um, and Jason's going to do a lot of demonstrating for us on cow calling, uh, how he likes to bugle, uh, how he likes to chuckle, how he likes to grunt. And so this is going to be a great four-part series. And I know the listeners, are gonna, you guys are going to get a, a great, bill, great bit of uh, uh, value out of it. So I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. Uh, before we get to that, I want to thank my sponsors. Uh, I want to thank uh, GoHunt.com uh, Insider. And I want to announce that there's a real special... Uh, promo that uh, GoHunt.com Insider is doing for the J. Scott Podcast listeners. And that is, it's a 30-day free trial exclusive for the J. Scott uh, Outdoors Podcast listeners. All you have to do is go to GoHunt.com forward slash J. Scott and click on the blue free trial button. And go through the steps. It only takes a couple of minutes. You will be required to provide a credit card, but they will not be charged until after the free 30 days. You can cancel any time within the first 30 days to prevent being charged. If you guys have any questions at all about the free trial at uh, GoHunt, you can go to free trial at GoHunt.com and someone from the GoHunt team will promptly respond. So this is your opportunity if you've been listening over the last uh, year about me talking about uh, GoHunt.com Insider, this is your chance for a 30-day free trial to go on and check out the filtering 2.0 system, check out the draw odds, check out how they do get their harvest statistics, check out the mapping, check out how they can break down each unit, um, it, and uh, check for the local area services. You basically have a free run at uh, checking out uh, the unbelievable resource at GoHunt Insider. So uh, again, go to GoHunt.com forward slash J. Scott, click on the blue free trial button and go through the steps. And uh, it's a free trial. So go check it out. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider for their sponsorship. Uh, they've been the title sponsor of my podcast since the beginning. I would also like to uh, thank Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines. They also have a promotion going right now. If you go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter, your, you'll be prompted to go to a page. When you get to that page, it'll say enter an email address. If you enter your email address, uh, you'll be entered into the drawing. They're giving away July 15th a uh, $1,500 credit towards Swarovski Optics through another sponsor of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast, The Outdoorsman's. All you have to do is enter your email address. Again, go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott. Enter your email address once it, you go to the prompt, 
and uh, one person is going to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product. I want to thank Western Hunter and Elk Hunter Magazines for their support. I uh, also want to thank Phonescope.com. If you go to Phonescope.com, uh, you get 10% off if you mention the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Uh, also, if you go to the Outdoorsman's or call the Outdoorsman's at 1-800-291-8065, uh, if you call the Outdoorsman's or you go on uh, their website, use the J. Scott promo code, uh, you're going to get 10% off all products at the Outdoorsman's as well. Uh, also want to thank Utah Hydrographics, and there's a two-tiered system of uh, a discount. Um, you can go to Utah Hydrographics, check it all out. You can get any, they can dip anything in ver Kuyu Verde camo or virtually any camo pattern out there. Um, and uh, there's substantial discounts by using the J. Scott promo code and also Wilderness Athlete. Um, proud to uh, have Wilderness Athlete as a sponsor. And if you use the J. Scott promo code, you get a 10% discount. So, guys, without those sponsors, this podcast wouldn't be possible. I appreciate uh, you guys uh, supporting them. I get feedback from my sponsors every day. Uh, how much support you are giving them and for that I appreciate it uh, also uh, I would love I love getting feedback every day from the listeners you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com uh, I'm going to be uh, launching uh, several episodes where I'm answering uh, the listeners questions I've already done uh, one briefly and uh, I've got great response from that so jscottoutdoors at gmail.com send me any questions or anybody you want to hear on the podcast uh, I get uh, multiple emails Facebook messages Instagram messages text phone calls every day from listeners and uh, that's just awesome I thrive on that uh, I want to make this podcast the most informative and educational uh, experience that I can uh, if I don't know the answer to it, I will find someone that does, and we will get to the bottom of it together. I just want to thank all of you guys for um, just just unbelievable support. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, make sure to go to jscottoutdoors.com. That website is uh, uh, under construction right now, but you can kind of see all the different things that Craig Steele at CS Creativity is doing. Uh, he's uh, revamping and centralizing everything. So it's basically you can go to jscottoutdoors.com. You'll be able to click on Instagram, my YouTube channel, my Facebook page, uh, all my different blogs, uh, right? And, and of course, uh, this podcast. Um, you can listen to the podcast right on the website. You can link out to iTunes. You can link out to Podbean. Um, so it's, uh, he's doing a great job and, uh, there'll be more and more content put on there as the days go by. So make sure to check out jscottoutdoors.com. Also, um, I'm, I'm making a transition in Facebook, um, to posting content on the J Scott Outdoors business page. So just go to J Scott, type in J Scott Outdoors, come like my Facebook page. Uh, I'm maxed out on my personal page and um, we're moving all, pretty much all the content uh, over to J. Scott Outdoors business page. Guys, again, thanks for your support. Uh, I, I hope you really enjoy this four-part series with Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got Jason Phelps 
of Phelps Game Calls. And I'm excited to have uh, Jason on. And I met Jason, oh, a handful of years ago, I believe, when he was calling in his first uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation uh, calling contest. It was either in Salt Lake City or Denver or somewhere. Yeah, it was. Jason, how you doing? Good, good. Uh, yeah, it was. I think it was Vegas in thirteen. We we finally met up after after that first one, and I think I was still my knees were still chattering even half hour after the the, the prelim. So, yeah, yeah, I remember. Um, I remember you did a good job. Um, but I think I think uh, you've learned a lot. Uh, you know, in those three years um since then and you've made a bunch of calls since then and it's been awesome to see the transformation of uh you know a a a business that maybe at the time you were just uh thinking was you know in your back pocket to you know Phelps game calls and uh you know being known by everybody that's an elk hunter um and I think you know hats off to you for uh, building a quality product and, and, and having the foresight to do some of the marketing and, and, and some of the things that you've done. Uh, so congratulations on the success of, of your call company. Thank you very much, Jay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a fun ride and, uh, and uh, I'm excited to see you know, where this thing ends up. Yeah, if I remember right, uh, we met, uh, you called in the contest, and maybe even at the time, I can't remember, were you a pro then, or were you even calling in the men's division? Yeah, by default, you know, my very first contest ever, and by default, the rule of owning a game call company at that time had already, you know, started this, and by default, I was just kind of thrown in with the with the pros. But yeah, but with that said, I you know watching some of these men, I don't think there's a huge disparity between the two, and some of those guys can call with you know anybody in the world any day. So that's for sure. I mean that that there's one thing, uh, the pros, you know, uh, Dirk uh, Dirk Durham's one in the men's division. I think him and Corey uh, had a pact that they wouldn't jump in each other's division, and I don't know how many titles they've each won, but uh, you know Dirk certainly is 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 more than qualified to, to call in the the uh, pro division and i know there's been a bunch of guys that have used your calls um even even that year i was able to judge the contest for three years and i know your calls have done very well in the contest uh over the years as well yeah i mean we we're, we're growing we're having success and you know some of that comes from you know being able to tailor to a guy you know because you know you're buying calls off the rack you're getting what you get and uh you know i'm able to i can bump a call by three thousands you know or two thousands or take a little bit out or you know get some feedback from them and really dial in a call for them that i may not sell to anybody else besides them you know building them true competition calls for them yeah, for sure. So, and, you know, you get into the uh, turkey calling um, arena. Um, I've been fortunate to go back to the NWTF and watch the contest back there. And, you know, almost every single participant that that for sure in the pro division, um, but even in the men's, uh, I don't know what they call it, the open division or whatever, most everyone is, is, is uh, stretching their own calls and making their own calls. Whereas in the elk calling um you know, contest, I, I'm going to venture to say that uh, not many of the contestants are actually stretching their own calls. There are some, certainly. Yep. Um, but uh, it's it's just interesting to see the difference between elk and, and the turkey calls. Uh, for those 
of uh, the listeners that don't know you, um, Jason, give me a little bit of a background on yourself and uh, kind of your, uh, you know, quick version of, of your love for elk hunting and what started you making elk calls. Okay, yeah, I, I grew up here in Southwest Washington. My, you know, grandpa, my grandpa's, you know, my great grandpa, my great great grandpa have all lived here um, in, a, in a small logging community. And it's just kind of been ingrained from, you know, a young kid that that was, that was like the next, next level you got to when you could get out. And, you know, at that time, everybody was a rifle elk country around here. And uh, we grew up here hunting Roosevelt's, you know, they're, they're by far probably, you know, a complete contrast to where you're at. We probably have the smallest, uh, you know, bulls as far as horn size, but it's all we knew. And it, and it, it was a passion that, you know, I think it was more looking up to my dads and uncles and grandpas, you know, cause we'd always get to go right around deer hunting. But, uh, when elk season came around, it was, uh, you know, it was something that, that the guys did and, and the kids kind of got left at home. And so I think it kind of, uh, had that allure to me for, for when I got there. And, you know, I, I was a, I was a really successful elk and rifle or elk rifle and elk muzzleloader hunter from the get go. And, uh, uh, I, I owe, you know, my family, um, you know, kind of yeah, trained well. They, they put you in good spots. They, they knew the elk around here. They all worked in the woods, so they kept pretty good tabs on them. And, uh, I, I had a lot of success, uh, with the rifle and muzzleloader and, uh, it wasn't until uh, 98, I bought a Primo's Terminator pack and it had like a three pack of diaphragms and, uh, we were out scouting a brand new area. And I decided to bring that along. And it was actually the night before uh, our archery opener at that time. And literally around here, there was nobody archery hunting. Nobody. There might have been literally, you know, five locals um, hunting the entire Willapaw Hills that that I knew of. And we, we ran into a herd. And I can remember ripping a bugle off. And, uh, you know, long story short, calling a bull in to, to 25 yards, you know, having him sitting there bugling his head off and uh you know going crazy and we had kind of hit hunched down on the landing and i can remember my uncle getting so nervous that bull had got so close that he basically had jumped up and scared it off at 25 yards he he didn't know you know he had he had never been <laughs> in that situation and uh so you know this i could definitely say the seed was planted at that exact moment um so the next morning which was our archery opener i uh, went out and did the same exact thing with and, and that was a bull that was for us around here of, you know, it was a giant, uh, you know, a, a six by seven Roosevelt bigger than any bull that I can remember any of my, anybody in my family killing. And it was at that point, And it was that off season that, you know, I finished out the year and I already had my tag, but it really just at that point drove home that I wanted to be an archery elk hunter and hunt the rut. And, you know, the next year I, I dedicated to, I think, I didn't have the whole archery side thing down, you know, back then I was a junior in high school. I think I missed seven bulls that first year before I finally killed the eighth bull I had called in. Um, and, and that's, that's where the, the seed was planted. That's back in 1998, 99, fast forward to 2009. Uh, I w I've always been a tinker and I always thought, man, you know, it was my passion. I had already loved calling elk using, you know, the bugling bull, the primo stuff out there. Why can't I do this myself? You know, and not to take away from any other game call makers or even myself now, I looked at it as, well, this is just stretching latex between a frame and putting tape around it. Or this is just, uh, uh, you know, a, a mylar reed trapped in a piece of plastic. And uh, I've been humbled ever since thinking it was that simple after I've learned all the intricacies to get to where we're at now. But um, that's really, it just, 
it was something I was super interested in. I wanted to see if I could do it and challenge myself. And uh, like you had, you had mentioned earlier, it's something I thought was probably going to stay in my back pocket. Uh, maybe sell, you know, 50 to 100 of the wood calls um, exploded on me. And then as the wood calls took off, we got into the diaphragms and the lines just expanded ever since. Yeah, for sure. A couple things that you mentioned there. Um, I mean, you originally started doing your calls for, you know, let's face it, I believe from a selfish region and the fact that you wanted to make your own calls that you could tinker and get exa sound exactly how you want it to sound uh, because of the lack of consistency maybe with what you were seeing in the marketplace. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I would have a, you know, I think at that time, Rocky had the the Who's Your Daddy or, you know, one of those. And, you know, Wayne Carlton had the fight and cow call and I had a Primo's Hyperlip. And I was always out there sanding on the tone board or, you know, just tinkering with it anyways. Like, well, how can I get this thing to be just a little bit lighter, you know, so it's not so loud or activate a little bit easier? Or, you know, on a diaphragm, I would take a sharp pair of scissors and cut a notch out of it because I wanted to, you know, a little bit raspier. And so I was always kind of a tinkerer anyways. And just so by nature, I was, you know, wanted to continue and, and see if I could you know, build on something or, or develop my own stuff. Yeah, you know, um, I, I can totally see that. You know, something else you mentioned there, and, and, and just a general overall um, maybe observation that I'm making, and, you know, I hear it from time to time, and, um, you know, there, there's those out there that say, well, I elk hunt so that I can have meat and put the meat on the table, and that's why I hunt elk. And I kind of look at it and go, that's great, fantastic. But then I look at why do I hunt elk? Well, I love elk meat. It's my favorite elk meat. Maybe buffalo, uh, wild buffalo I like uh, as much. Yep. But I'm going to be honest. I love the sport of elk hunting. I love calling elk. I like calling anything. <laughs> yep. Um, but I, it's something that I don't, you know, it doesn't get – you don't hear it as much because with, you know, the political uh, arena and, 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 and some of the, you know, social aspects of hunting and what have you, uh, I was just curious to get your take because I'm one that, yes, I absolutely love elk meat. Uh, my wife, you know, she loves elk meat. I've got an elk tag this year and she's so excited the fact that I'm going to get to kill an elk and she's like, don't kill a big, great big one. Don't <laughs> kill a big one. Kill I'm like, well, what, man, I waited 16 years for this tag, and you want me to go? Yeah, go kill us, go kill a young one, and we'll have good eating. I'm like, okay, well, let's let's take the let's let's shoot a big one and have good eating. Yeah, but yeah. you know, my question would be, how come we don't hear more about? I love the sport of elk hunting, and I love the sport, quote unquote, of elk calling. You either hear. You know, it just seems like it's the popular thing to say of, you know, all I want to provide meat yeah. for my family. Well, that's a given if you're a hunter. Curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think, you know, I've thought about it a lot and, you know, I'm, you know, fairly well educated, but I sit down and, and try to back away and, and, and think about these things, you know, and, and I think it's easier to defend y your actions if you're, if it, if it goes to meat and substance, um, now, if you, if we, you know, and I'll never apologize for loving to call elk in, interact with them and, you know, ultimately take its life. I'll never apologize for, for anything that, you know, that I do there. It's just harder to defend. And I've sat back and say, well, you know, how can you sit back and defend? And, and it, it's just the means to get to the filling the freezer, but I'm not going to lie. I absolutely enjoy every, every 
part of it, you know, the preparation, the scouting, um, you know, and ultimately, I'm not going to lie, my absolute favorite part is interacting with the bull on their level during season. You know, that there's nothing that replaces that. And I just think the main reason when I've sat back and tried to figure it out, it's just hard to defend that you absolutely enjoy the sport and the thrill of trying to kill that elk. Yeah. And, and it is. Because, and Yeah. Because it ends in, in, in a death, yep. uh, on both sides of the spectrum, hunters feel like they have to justify it by saying, you know, I'm providing meat for my family, which is great. And I totally agree with that. But I, I'm going to say right here, I love elk hunting for the sport of elk hunting. And of course, I love the meat. Exactly. Um, and I love hunting for the sport of hunting. And quite honestly... Everyone knows I love trophy hunting. Yep. I love calling elk. I love calling turkeys. I like looking at big racks. <laughs> I like looking at big antlers. Who doesn't? Exactly. And, you know, um, there, you know, there's there's people that live in states where you know the 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 trophy elk might be a, a six point. Just if it makes it to be a six point, that's a giant trophy. Or you live in Arizona where I live, and you know, a four hundred inch bull or a three seventy bull is a trophy. So. But I think we all have to come back to we love most elk hunters are attracted to elk hunting because of the action, because of what you just said there earlier. You said, I wanted to be in the rut and I wanted to be in that action. And, you know, that to me, as an elk hunter specifically, I love the rut. I love it when they're bugling. I love it when they're tearing up trees and fighting and peeing all over themselves. <laughs> yep. And uh, you know, I just, I just curious your thoughts. Yeah, on that. and that's you know, success wise, if it was truly about me, I feel in this state, I probably got even chances whether I'm archery hunting, uh, whether I'm muzzleloader hunting or rifle hunting. But I'm always going to go pick up my bow because I'm put more in the middle of that rut and I get to interact. Now they all three. Well, you know, have the same percentage of ending up with an elk in my freezer, but you know, it's that interaction. It's the sport. It's the chase. It's it's everything involved. Um, you know, the you know, with, when I used to rifle hunt, I would literally take my rifle out of the gun safe a week before season, go shoot three shots, make sure we were zeroed, and then I went out. There's a different sport involved. You know, my my tracking skills came into more of a play. You know, I, I was if I didn't spot an elk within the first half hour of daylight, I was in the timber everything's different now that i'm an archery hunter the sport is you know you, you glass you bugle you hear one you make a plan you read the wind you know so everything it, it's a different sport and i loved rifle elk hunting but i love archery elk hunting even more but i think ultimately the reason why people don't come out and just you know confess the, that they love it is that it's hard to defend and it, i think as a whole it makes us uh, more of a target you know from the people that want to take these um, you know, it, it's not, I guess it isn't a right, it, you know, take these freedoms that we have away, um, you know, the, yeah. to, to enjoy the hunt. And... Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's all, that's all great stuff. Okay, Jason, my next question has to do with competition calling. Obviously I met you, uh, if, if you're saying it was 13 then then it was 13, seems like I thought it was, you know, earlier than that, but it, it doesn't really matter. My question is, um, you make the transition from making some calls and, you know, getting into competition calling, um, and, tr- you know, trying to be a better caller yourself. Uh, and I, I'm just wondering how, 
you know, you make that transition from calling competitively to now probably being so dang busy, you probably don't have time to call competitively. <laughs> um, and a little bit of, can you give me some of the day-to-day logistics of your actual call making and, and what it entails as far as a time issue? Okay, yeah. Um, so, you know, my day-to-day, uh, I, I'm fortunate and, and some people, some of my buddies still give me crap, uh, but uh, I work with myself. I do basically all of the marketing and then my my mom is assists me in the office. She does all of my order fulfillment. Um, she keeps track of all of her inventory. She does all of the day-to-day, um, you know, putting the calls in the boxes, shipping them off, taking care of emails and stuff. Uh, for the most part, I do answer a lot of emails myself when they get technical. Um, typically, we don't have a huge inventory. You know, I very rarely have more than um, 20 of call X and 20 of call Y built at any time. A lot of times what happens is I'll get home. Um, we have a big whiteboard built above my, uh, call making station and it'll have you know, Roman numerals one through 20, sometimes 30 or 40, um, laid out. And then I just basically, you know, pick up, I'll, I'll lay out all those, the material I need for those calls and we'll build them. Um, you know, and, or I'll have, I'll see, I'll have, you know, 28 wood calls in a day. Um, I'll go out to the shop and that's usually a process. I usually carry a lot more than 28 just for efficiency reasons. Um, you know, so on that day I may have 25 of them already made and set aside, just need and put together. Um, you know, so it's, it's still pretty, uh, rudimentary business we're running here. You know, there's, there's not a, you know, we don't have a bar scanner readers. We don't have big tubs full of inventory. And uh, we were talking a little bit before the podcast, when I get some of these larger orders, um, from Shields, Black Ovis, some of these other companies, all the local, uh, pro shops, to add those on top of the existing uh, workload, it, it it sets us back a little bit. We do use a lot of our our, our weekends um, and and late late weeknights keeping keeping up. You know, we've been known for a long time, you know, to be next day, um, you know, two day max type of shipping, and and we try to hold to that. Um, but yeah, the you you'd kind of uh, also kind of spun that into competition calling. You know, I. I use that as as, as a marketing uh, tool for the business, you know, and hopefully one of these days I can go there and, and do better than I than I have. I think my best showing so far is fifth in in 2014, um, but it's still relatively new, you know. And and I'm not gonna lie, uh, the, the the nerves get to me. But I've used kind of the competition calling to market the calls, make myself well known, and then. Um, it kind of all ties into the call making, and I'm fortunate that I have a, a super supportive wife, and she actually really enjoys going to the calling competitions and, and getting away, and uh, we make a little vacation out of it. And uh, you know, whether it's the Oregon State or the Worlds or or whatever we're doing, we we kind of do all that together. And uh, uh, I, I'm really excited now. Both of my kids are are very very good natural voice callers. Um, just by being around, listening to the sounds that I make, my kids are, I, I think can compete very, very well at the, at, at the world level. So that's going to be fun in the upcoming years, seeing, seeing how they can do. Yeah, it is going to be exciting, uh, for sure. And that's great that you have a wife that, that, uh, supports what you're doing. And I remember meeting her as well as, uh, it was you and your wife and, and, and a friend of yours, I believe, and maybe his wife. Yep. Um, at the time, and it was uh, nice to meet you guys. Um, I want to dive into the mechanics of how to make an elk uh, a sound, an elk sound out of a mouth call, and was wondering if you could kind of walk through. I have listeners that are 
that are way advanced. I have listeners that are kind of in the middle, and then I have brand new hunters, uh, brand new callers. And so I think starting at the beginning uh, with your description of kind of the mechanics, since not only do you know how to call, but you also know how to actually make the call that, that, uh, you know, how to make the elk call. Um, I thought you would be a perfect person to kind of walk someone through. And if you would, um, you know, do it with a mouth call and then do the same thing, kind of walk through on your external, uh, call if you have one nearby, Um, and, and tell the listener from point A to point B, how you do it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there are all kinds of calls and I want to start this out with the best call for you is the one that you're the most confident with, regardless of brand, regardless of style, um, find one you're confident with. But, um, you know, I always say if a, if a guy or gal is looking for a call to start on, um, fit is the most important. In my opinion, turkey call fit isn't as important because you're kind of blowing the air up into it. But when a lot of the the questions I get are turkey callers um, want the elk call, fit is of uh, of great importance with an elk call because you're you're controlling it. Whereas a turkey call, you're throwing more air into it. And I don't mean that to be a dig on on any turkey callers, but um, sure. yeah, fit is as of, of of utmost importance. So that's why we have the the three different sizes. We have a small frame, we have a medium frame that I developed, and then we're using a, a large frame. Um, so fit's important, but once you, and, the, and unfortunately the only way to really find out what call fits you is to try some. And, um, you know, a lot of, I, I know, and, and other call makers know, you know, what sizes are comparable if you need to ask that information, but um, find a call that fits you. I always recommend in my personal call line, starting with the medium, it seems to fit the most. Um, I also recommend starting with a light, loose, single read call. Um, you, know, you may outgrow it quickly or it may end up being the call you end with, but it's easier to get a light, loose, single latex to activate and make noise than it is some of these doubles and triples that the more, and I wouldn't necessarily the advanced callers use, but the guys that want to use doubles and triples that apply more pressure and more air, um, it's not going to necessarily be the best call um, for a new user. So. Um, on all my calls, um, there's a tab on the, the we use a, a frame, an aluminum frame, and it's it's shaped like a horseshoe. On the underneath side, you'll see um, through the tape, you can fill it through the tape, there is a tab that we bend over that, that locks that latex in place. You're always going to want to have that down. On my new medium frames, I have a, a logo tape, and it's only on my medium frames with my logo on top. Well, that's easy. That goes up on the primos and bugling bull calls, the domes or the pallet plates will always go up, so those are easy. Um, and you're gonna want the latex facing forward. On an elk call, you're gonna wanna put that frame up inside your pallet. You don't want it to be hitting your teeth. You don't actually want it to stop um, inside your pallet or your gums. You want it to actually fit up there. And if you look at yourself in the mirror, you should be able to see that diaphragm pitched down slightly. So it'll be a little bit higher in the back, pitched down slightly, and you want it to be somewhat level left to right. You, a little bit's okay because that you know you may be a little bit oversized on the frame size, but you want it to be somewhat level. And so that's where we're going to start with that call up in your pallet, latex facing forward, and, and slightly pitched down. I personally run the call more in the middle, um, on the bugling bowl, the domes, or the pallets. I recommend running the call a little bit farther forward. And this is with me, and that's why everybody's different. Um, some guys run the call far back in their mouth, but I tend to be straight up in, in what I imagine is the very top of the roof of my mouth inside the pallet. And then with your 
with your tongue, kind of reach down below your bottom teeth as far as you can and kind of plant that or anchor your tongue down in there behind your bottom teeth. And what you're going to do is you're going to tr- imagine pushing out your bottom teeth. And you're, if you do that, if all the listeners are doing it right now, you can feel your tongue kind of flex. That's how you're going to apply and take away pressure to that latex. Uh, you know, I, I've helped a lot of colors out and you can actually, they're physically trying to lift their tongue up into the latex and that, that takes away some of your control and it, and it is really hard to do and, and make a good call that way. So I always recommend planting your tongue in behind the very bottom of your lower two teeth and by pushing, you can feel your tongue flex. So now I'm going to have my tongue placed there, the call up in my mouth and I'm going to just apply, I try to imagine my tongue being flat as flat and as relaxed against that latex up against it as I can. Now your tongue's got to also be fairly, um, fairly advanced because you also need to be able to hold the back of the tape up and sealed off at the, at the roof of your mouth as you're trying to also let the, the air go across it and let your tongue um, apply pressure to the reed. So you're also trying to imagine um, sealing that tape off so that no air blows by. So that's going to be the title of this podcast, Advanced Tongue. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, no, it's, we, we won't go there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you try to hold that, block all the air, because if you get leakage, you're going to get a, a sloppy sound. You're not going to have as much control over it. So by pinching that, uh, you're blocking the air off, forcing it across the reed. And, and I always recommend just making noise. You know, a lot of guys want to sound exactly like an elk or exactly like, you know, the elk caller that they've listened to on YouTube or whatnot. Just try to make sound. Um, so by applying light pressure, you're gonna get that lower tone. As you flex your tongue in, you'll go up and get a high note. Now what I recommend is, it, you almost sound like a European police car ambulance, one of those, you know, s- some European siren that's gonna make a noise. And what I highly recommend people doing is going up up the scale in octaves and then coming back down and you do it in a slow pace you're not going to sound anything like an elk but you go up and down and up and down and as you speed that cadence up you're eventually going to hear the breakover and the breakover will be harder and then you'll eventually be into a cow call so i'm going to do um that little that little series i recommend to people and then kind of slowly go into how that makes a cow call So by making the European ambulance sound or whatever you want to call it, just going up and down and having control and really training your tongue not to drop off. Even there, I wanted to, you know, I'm so used to just going straight to cow calls. But as a beginner, you want to get, I guess, for lack of a better word, lazy with your tongue and just kind of drop it. You know, really walk that thing up and down until you get to that cow call. So in other words, just to be clear, you're pressing air and you're basically your tongue is going up against the latex and then letting off a little pressure up against and as you push up you're getting a higher pitch as you're letting down you're getting a lower pitch correct yeah as you know and and most people probably aren't worried about why it's doing it as you push up you're basically you know putting stretch into that latex and what you're really doing is tightening tightening up the section of latex that's vibrating and as you let off pressure you basically widen out the section of vi- or latex that's allowed to vibrate and so that's why you get that deeper sound the looser your tongue is and the more you push up um, the, the tighter and higher pitch it gets.
good stuff uh, right there. And, you know, and then a lot of guys ask me, well, where should I be trying to focus my air? Should it be on the very tip of the latex? Should it be back in the middle? And some calls it matter, some calls it doesn't. I'm going to tell you, in my opinion and in my experience, playing the very front of the latex is going to be more sensitive. I can get away with a little bit more if I try to force the air into the back. But another thing that I tell a lot of beginners when they're learning the call is imagine the air going straight out, you know, out the front. A lot of guys, you know, that come from Turkey calling are used to blowing the air more in an, you know, an upward angle or, you know, forcing the air up. Um, with elk calling, I think it helps a lot of guys if you imagine, you know, the air going straight out. Yeah, so okay. so that was a, a real light loose single. Um, I can, you know, do something. This is my signature cow call, the call I do, you know, most of my hunting and competition calling with. It's just got more of a backbone. It's a little bit deeper. That's a, you know, being a light loose single, it's going to be a little bit higher. So this is what a deeper cow um, sounds like. So that's my preferred cow call just because I do uh, tend to call a little bit louder and that call seems to stay, you know, a little more consistent for me. That's awesome stuff right there. So that is kind of 101 diaphragm elk, you know, trying to make elk sounds. Um, and can you give me a demonstration using the same um analogy that's you were you were using and show me how that transitions into a bugle okay yeah i personally use a little bit uh i use a double on my bugling reed just because i want a little bit more resistance i don't want that that is one downfall to using the flat frames like i do is if you apply enough pressure um i'm sure you've heard it enough you know during competition calling or even during hunting you can lock lock a flat frame up and basically stall it out so my goal is trying to find a call that has just enough resistance that allows me to get that high note and, you know, use it as loud as I can without the call going anywhere. So in my opinion, the way I like to think about it is, is a bull call, uh, bull vocalizations are kind of opposite. You usually, uh, you know, start lower and work your way up the octave where a cow call before it breaks over is higher to a lower note. Um, so we're going to put the call in our mouths exactly the same, uh, latex forward, um, pitch down slightly up in your mouth, but this time you, I'm going to start with a little less pressure as I get into the call and I'm going to walk up. Um, you know, some of my calls are all, you know, the locator I only have, I only try to build two to three notes maximum in it. Some of these other calls, um, like the beast, which is, uh, my competition call, the one I hunt with a lot. Um, it's got three to four oct you know, notes built into it. Um, you know, so you walk it up and, and so, Start flat, start with your tongue flat. You'll start with a low note. Uh, I'm not going to try to sound like an elk, just hit that low note. And as I apply pressure, I'm going to walk this call up the octave. So that's just a straight, that's just straight air going across it. And one thing I want to recommend to guys, uh, there, you know, the turkey callers are into this a lot more, but there's two styles of callers. There's huffers, which if you try to wheeze or if you've ever had bronchitis and you, <sighs> that, that's coming way down from inside your diaphragm. That's the sound. That's the air you want to use to blow an elk call. You know, not to that extreme that I just did there, but you're wanting to really compress your chest and use your chest to run the call. Um, so the call I just did there was basically, you know, I loaded up my lungs full of air and I huffed out three or four clean notes. Now to really kind of tie everything together, 
elk, yeah, elk will bugle really clean like that sometimes, but a lot of them end up throwing rasp in. They've got noise. Um, they'll add, you know, us as humans have to put some voice inflection into these calls to get them to sound a little more realistic. So without the beagle tube up to my mouth, you can just growl or use your throat to add some um, voice inflection and, and make the call a little more real. Now here it is through a tube. Now I've kind of went away from that, but a lot of guys will still add that in at the beginning. What I like to do is start off clean and then add that in about halfway through. It, to me, it seems a little more realistic. So a typical bugle I would do uh, out in the woods, uh, a challenge bugle or something of the sort. And growing up, I don't know if it's because I grew up in uh, southwest Washington and 90% of our bulls either chuckle or grunt. I almost always grunt and chuckle at the end. Um, but when I'm out in the woods, I usually try to mimic uh, what that bull's doing. But now I'll show you kind of, and you should be able to hear the inflection of when I start to add voice into the middle of this clean note. It just adds a little more realistic sound to it um, and, uh, you know, kind of ties everything together. But you're, you're just basically reversing what you're doing on the cow call. You're adding a little more air volume across it. You're still kind of applying loose pressure, and you're adding pressure as you uh, uh, put air across that reed. <laughs> 